welcome to the Adventure Together podcast. In today's episode, Guy speaks to Toppy, who is the leader of Jubilee Church, a large multi-site church in London. He's been involved in planting and supporting churches for many years. It's great to see you, Toppy. Um, Welcome everybody to this podcast series, which we are doing with uh, significant leaders uh, across uh, the UK and world, asking them questions about how we unlock. And it's my great privilege to chat to a very good friend of mine over many, many years, a friend actually to Commission, who has served Commission in India, as well as obviously speaking for us at West Point and other contexts. Toppy, it's really, really great to see you. And maybe we can just kick off with how's Kemi, how has it been for the boys in lockdown? What's been the highlights? What have been the low points for you? Well, thank you, uh, guys. Great to be here and um, great to see you again. Uh, yeah, uh, lockdown has been a really, really interesting time. It's been, uh, I think, I guess for us as a family, actually, by God's grace, it's been good for us because um uh we just spending much more time together and uh you kind of realize i mean you do feel the way life was before you do spend time together but this was a little different you are together uh the whole time and uh there's just a different level of knowing one another and so on that happens in that so yeah we feel very very blessed by all of that side of it and uh, but then of course it goes beyond just us to the whole church and so on. So it's been an, it's been an interesting time. And your sons are professional musicians, aren't they? Has as as was their work affected? How how did they find it? Yeah, yeah, their work has been very much affected because uh, like you know everything's been shut down and so they just couldn't do uh, that anymore. And uh, but I mean God has been so gracious to them, although it was all shut down, uh, and they still were able to do certain work you know they were recording albums as because the different lockdowns kind of had different um levels of restrictions to them so they were able to do certain things uh through through the time so uh and through it still earning somewhat and so so all in all a lot to be grateful for (laughs) that's brilliant brilliant and when we uh think of uh the church that you lead it's obviously a multi-site church um, in a number of sites, meeting in cinemas. This must have been, uh, with all the cinemas closing and all the restrictions, this must have been a particularly difficult time for the church in terms of how they gather, when they gather. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's funny you say I, I, I Well, for us, you see, we were very... Uh, so the way that it happened for us, uh, actually my sons were in a their band was playing in the eastern part of the world, Singapore and so on. And uh, so when they came back, they came back and said to us, you do realize that this this whole virus thing is a big deal because mm-hmm. nations were being closed now and they were just able to leave each time. And so they gave me a bit of a heads up that it could come this way. The words like lockdown were fairly new to me. They're things you hear of in war times and so on. And so I had the opportunity, I was able to speak to the church this Sunday before we went to lockdown to say, I think this is the kind of thing that could happen and describe to the whole church and then uh, let them know what would happen if that did happen. Well, it did happen. And so I guess for us, by God's grace, we were able to switch pretty quickly 
uh, to online and uh, and then all the challenges that come with that. Um, uh, yeah, so the switching to online was not that difficult for us because we actually had all the technology there and we actually had online. We never showed it to the people, but whenever I'm traveling and so on, I get them to switch it on and I can watch uh, things anyway. So we decided to make it very public. And so that was easy enough to do. I guess the more challenging things were, how do you pass the people through that season? How do you handle the, the different crises that are happening? And you're kind of making it up as you go. And uh, so it's been it's, it's been really something. <laughs> and what was the sort of uh, takeaway bonuses or pluses from it? I mean, we can all, I mean, we can all list the difficulties of not seeing people, the difficulty of doing everything and getting computer fatigue sometimes. What were some of the pluses, though, that you think the wins that were there for Jubilee? Yeah, I think it's a good question for Jubilee. In that time, we actually learned um, um, uh, a lot of things. I think maybe one of the best ones, uh, biggest things is uh, the, our teams, we had to reform teams and we had to retrain people. And uh, in that time, the change over, because it's funny, online, church online almost required a whole different, it required a whole different skill set. And so certain skills that were probably more secondary and tertiary came to the fore. And uh, having to build that up real quickly, and it was built quickly. So that was a thrill and a blessing for us. Uh, but some of the biggest things really were the small groups, the way that they came together and began to grow. Mm. And the growth in the small groups got sustained. And, uh, and then people being added to the church, responses to the gospel, and uh, so one would have thought, well, these are the most difficult of things to do. How could that possibly happen? But by God's grace, actually, we saw these things happen. And we even did a uh, growth track and membership course and so on. So there were some really very uh, huge highlights. Uh, yeah, yeah. One of, one of the questions that I know that a lot of people want to know, because you lead probably one of the largest churches, if not the largest church in New Frontiers, you, you, you're looking after... Uh, you know, many, many people. How do you keep that missional uh, gospel emphasis at the grassroots? How do you stop it becoming a come and see uh, cinema experience? You've got incredible musicians. You've got fantastic uh, speakers. How have you kept not just in lockdown, but even prior to lockdown, the sort of grassroots feelings of making disciples of Jesus Christ, keeping the mission central? That, okay, that's a great question and a big question because, yeah. and uh, honestly, the question you just asked there is what preoccupied my own mind the most. Um, uh, because the danger in all of that when it first happened was how do you get back? How do you get back on? And well, then you have to get past all that scrambling and begin to think, okay, what really, these are the common questions I've been asking myself. I don't know. I have all the answers to them yet, but what is the church? What is its purpose? What is the gospel? What is this? You have to go back. I had to go back to those basics. And uh, that really began to form for me and frame up what our mode will be as we go through this pandemic. 
So honestly, by May, June, when people were thinking, will it open, will it not? A big part of me was hoping it would not just open, if I'm to be honest. Because I don't know that we can go through something so seismic. Mm. Where nations are closed down, where churches are emptied out, where death is all around. I don't know if we could go through all of that and just carry on with life. And we would just carry on with life because we are, it's what we know. We have become so conditioned to certain ways and behaviors, even as the church. If we're not careful, we're not pausing to say, okay, what is the Spirit saying to the churches? What is God, what is God saying to us through this? So for me, God may not be the cause, but certainly God wants to use it for something. So to your question, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. find myself uh, uh, in the sermons that we preach, going back to those basics. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, in fact, the sermons began to be much more like Bible studies on purpose. Um, uh, I found that at the end of preaching, at the beginning, I let people know wherever you're logging on from. Good to see you. At the end of this, I'm going to be on a Zoom where you can just get to I can get to meet you and chat. So I'll finish preaching and literally walk into another uh, computer set up, and I'll be meeting those who would come for the first time and begin to pass to them. Uh, we oh, we turned on our chat facility during the preach. We had to work our way through this and get it all monitored, so that there is a that was on purpose. It was that was birthed out of. How do you still create community when everyone is all isolated? Mm-hmm. And that began to help when you just, because you only need a few hundred people on it chatting and it's all been moderated. And this sense of community, I, I, during preaching, I would reference some of the things I saw on the chat. So people got the sense of live and immediacy, uh, but through it all, helping them understand this thing isn't just happening. God is trying to say something to the world, to this nation, to this city, to this church, to this pastor, and to you. Yeah. And begin to shift, change their, shift their mindsets in that way. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to a number of, um, not just on podcasts, but on leaders um, in London. Um, and a lot of those leaders are saying very similar things, Toppy, in terms of, we just cannot go back. We must be challenging one another and asking what things God has wanted to cut out uh, or cut back in terms of the sort of John 15 analogy in order for us to learn how to abide. And uh, some of the structures, some of the plans, some of the meetings, some of the ways in which our prescription of yeah. how we do church has been put in the fore- forefront of our minds, thinking maybe some of the things we were doing were good, but not best. And maybe there's a pushing into much more intentional discipleship and smallness, you know, this whole thing of to go bigger, you have to go smaller. Uh, And to intentionally be looking at our small groups and our individual discipleship in order to not miss a moment that perhaps God is is giving us. Um, Is that something which sort of resonates or are there other things that are added into that sort of no, I, I, I think I think that's very well put, Guy. I think those are the exact things resonating in my own spirit from then till now. Um, <clears throat> uh, because it really is a cultural moment and there are major shifts happening 
And, and, and I guess here's the thing, Guy. Um, uh, we, uh, the picture I keep in my mind um, is one of, actually it came out of one of an illustration when I was preaching. I was going to show what we've been talking about, the, uh, the exiles coming back and what does the post-exilic Israel look like, what does the post-exilic church uh, should look like kind of a thing. And I was going to make do an illustration of building a wall Nehemiah, and I got this cement thing mixed, so mixed in the bottom somewhere. And the lady going to give it to me at the right time said, well, when are you going to say it? Because she said, I need to know when before I, I said, it doesn't matter. Just mix it at the beginning. When I'm ready, I'll pick. She says, no. She says, because by the time, if I mix it too early, by the time you need it, it will be rock hard. Mm. And I feel like the whole transition moment Yes, things are right in the flux. It's beginning to come down slowly, but it's going to go hard again. Mm. And we have more opportunities to make some changes yeah. that God wants us to make. So I agree with you. I, I, it is, it, when you look at the church, certainly the church where I live here in the West, you've got to say, are our models right? Mm. Are they really? Because if we know what it is we're actually going for, if it's true, if it's still discipleship, you know, Matthew 28, then are these models with all this preaching and all these words and all these worship events and all these uh, seismic gatherings, are disciples actually really being made mm. at the pace they should be? Because if the answer is no, we need to rethink. Yeah. You know, so I think looking again at what does attractional model really bring? What is the alternative to that? An incarnational model? What does what should our small groups really be like? What should church be like? Because I think sometimes we've been forced into one way of thinking and making little adjustments within it. And uh, I don't know that the Bible just prescribes it so narrow that way. And so things have to be opened up. So I'm I'm, I'm with you. The kind of things you raise are the kind of things I'm thinking about. Yeah, And we're living, Toppy. I mean, you and I are living in this world, which is fast, fast changing. Uh, uh, the values, uh, you know, the whole sexuality. Uh, sadly, in the last year, we've had George Floyd, um, which we've all in the West sort of watch with horror a, a, a black man dying with a, a policeman on his neck for nine over nine minutes and felt the horror of that and following that we've come into a time where rightly there was mourning there was grief there was agony there was the sense of outrage where we wanted to or people wanted to march to wave, wave banners to to make a stand against the injustices that we still see in the west and on the back of that, quite a lot of posturing, po politicizing, Black Lives Matter. It's a very difficult subject um, to address um, consistently to your church in order to help people to process what they're seeing, what they're hearing, not to just be bandwagoning and, 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 and signing a Twitter feed or making a simple statement. How did you help your church through? Because you would have uh, a black majority, I think, church in Enfield. Would it, would that be true? And how did you help your church in terms of dealing with the issues and dealing with the grief and helping them to come to a place where they weren't feeling like 
just there was a there was nothing they could do. What what were the sort of practical steps that you were encouraging members to do? Well, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, in the middle of all that pandemic, the George Floyd thing did happen, and um, I, I guess what I did do for our people was I let them know how what I saw has affected me. And I think I, basically, I I shared my own story. I shared my own feelings with them. And I did not hold back on my feelings. And um, um, and I think that that was just an, a really important thing to, to do because one of the worst things that can be done is, the, is to adopt a professional posture or the professional posture of a pastor, which I think sadly one sees sometimes and people see through mm-hmm. and it, it adds to the problem or you're seen as complicit. So I shared with them what I saw when I first saw the video because it, it shocked me to my core mm-hmm. and moved me more than I even imagined it would. You would think in a world where you see all kinds of things on movie theaters and films that you are maybe you're a little uh, numb to that. Actually, it was a horrible thing. Mm. And uh, I only watched it twice, I think, because I just couldn't see what you edit I haven't watched it since. And it's taken me months of processing it. And I think in many ways I'm still processing it, really. And I only say that because um, uh, I think you may have been on one of the calls, not a similar call like this with a few friends. And halfway through, I found myself breaking down and um, switch off the camera. Well, I, I wasn't used to, if I knew I was that, that was going to happen, I probably wouldn't have come on the call. Mm-hmm. And it just took me off guard and I've had many other moments like that. Um, so I was open with the church to let them know my feelings, how angry I was about what I'd seen. I described back to them what I had seen because they needed to hear me describe what is it I saw. Mm-hmm. So that it is not placated or beautified in any way, but the horror of it that the people could see and know that's how he feels. And then, and, and not locking anyone into how therefore they must feel, but letting them know, know that there is permission to share what you feel. And so having described it, people going to their small groups encourage it to be spoken about hugely. Uh, we had pockets of moments of meetings of talking through it. And then we did have a very big prayer meeting. Uh, and I addressed it head on on the Sunday morning. It was the first thing I did that Sunday morning as people gathered. Right, I addressed it, I addressed the situation, addressed the church. And frankly, I addressed our city, whether anyone listened or not. It was, it, it, it needed to be done at least by me from, from, uh, from my own conscience. So, we did that, and then we had called a prayer meeting. Since we prayer meeting, people came from all around. It's the biggest prayer meeting we've ever done. People were joining online because of the nature of the circumstances. Um, and yeah, and so we have been dealing with it, and I'm helping the black brother. I'm helping my white sister. Mm. I'm helping all kinds, because Jubilee is very diverse, uh, you know, generationally, multiculturally, and so on. And so, yeah, it was a very open allowance to speak about it and let emotion 
be involved, real emotion, be involved in the discussions, uh, um, or else it will be misread. Mm. I mean, I found I found when you shared with the New Frontiers brothers, I found that an amazingly, profoundly moving uh, moment just to understand something of the pain that that causes. As you say, we live in such a shocking time with images on our screens and bombings and people displaced and crossing emotions. It's quite numbing eventually, but that was a moment for me where I realized this affects people at a very, very powerful, in a very intimate way, a powerful way of, and I guess, Thinking about how we continue to address the situation is part of the part of the process here. And I, I just wonder if you could help us. I, I thought rather than sort of try and delve into specifics, you think of a movement like Commission, you think actually we're getting more diverse, praise God. And in London, obviously, diversity is, is there here at Chapel. It's very diverse. I love it. But for the person who the leaders listening to this who is in a church which is predominantly white um, and you have a conversation with them and they will say something to the effect of, I'm not a racist, um, it doesn't really affect me. Um, and you want to speak to that person and say, actually, it does affect you. And this is something of the way in which you need to deal with this and continually deal with this rather than it's something that's happened, it's in the past, and we're moving on. This is a big issue. Can you can you just speak to that person who is thinking it's 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 irrelevant to me because I don't I'm not touching it. I, I don't really need to do anything about this issue. What would you say to that person? Well, um, and I have met that person and uh, and on and on one could go up. I you know I honestly think that if if that we're talking here in our context, we'd be talking to a Christian who is saying this kind of thing, and uh, probably a Christian leader who's saying this kind of thing yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to first of all want to say the person probably just is ignorant, not in a not in an abusive way, but just they just don't know, they don't fully get it. And if they're open to it, then I want to help them because, and I, and I think the beginning part is just to help the let, is to bring up the awareness of what this means. Okay, that racism, racism is the belief that uh, you know a particular ethnicity is either superior or inferior, and and prefixes certain moral and societal ideas into those people on account of their colors. And when you look at, okay, you fix those qualities on that one, those qualities on this one, somehow this one is <laughs> is done, is hard done by, this one is better done by. And because it's built into the into the system, you almost can't see it. You almost can't see it if you're if you're in it. So we're not just talking about prejudice which is thinking negatively about a person. We're not just talking about discrimination, which is acting negatively towards a person. We're actually talking about actually outright racism, which is then systems that have been built deliberately or, 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 or inadvertently that benefit one people group over the other. And, 
Uh, and then to begin to help them see what that looks like for a black person. Um, and are you are you aware of um, how how I guess one of my big questions is I I can understand the color blindness in me I can I can see that I can I I can think very simplistically that it's a level playing field for everybody in the in the West we've got a very tolerant culture a very open culture but be colorblind to all the history that goes behind and actually it doesn't need a level playing field it needs an unlevel playing field to enable people who have been trodden down for generations to be given opportunities where they can um, grow and progress and do things that actually they haven't been able to do because of this. Um, are there ongoing things that we ought to be reading, looking at to just help educate us? I mean, ignorance is right. I, I, would, I would claim that for myself. I mean, I've got very close friends who are from different nations, but Sometimes when I hear people talk, I think, oh, that's not true. And then as I understand, when I heard your heart, I thought, oh, wow. Oh, wow, that's me. It's not, it's not just somebody I can identify as being, well, they're, 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 they're racist. or it, it's, it's right in, in the core of a lot of the way in which we think in our Western culture. So I, I want to keep challenging our leaders to, to be going deeper, not think this is something which is an insignificant or we've done that. But how do we keep going on? So any help there? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, you are articulating it very well. And uh, so that really does help. I, I would say that there are good books that people can read right. that helps put language to the feelings. Because here's the thing. The average black person. You see, I'll tell you a story. A long time ago. I'm driving with my son, he's 10 years old, we're going to a prayer meeting. A policeman stops the car. He stops the car and he comes in to check and he looks around, I stop the car, he stops, so I stop. And he comes in, he looks around and he asks me where, am I, where I'm going, who I am and so on. Just the usual questions. He wasn't rude to me, but he did his checks. And then he said to me, well, uh, I can see that everything is fine here, but you understand. I can see you a black man with a cap on, with a, with a child next to you. I just have to check it. That, that was the basis on which he stopped me. I'm a black person. That's a child. There's something wrong. When you live with those kinds of micro moments a lot through your life, you just live in certain ways. You, you, you just expect certain things. You see it all the time. That white policeman, if you said to him he's a racist, he wouldn't even have, he would have thought, what? No, I'm not. And that thing evoked two different emotions. For me, I was like, okay, he's done his job. Let's go, we carry on. And my own generation tended to behave that way. They tend, my generation tended to handle racism by saying, you find internal strength, you just carry on. Hmm. The younger generation don't see it that way. Because my own son, he was 10 years old at the time, said, Dad, why did he stop us? And I told him that. And I think that was his initiation point to say, you are different. Mm. And then, of course, right through getting jobs and so on, uh, uh, you know, you only have to say your name or your accent or so on. You go into a whole different category. Uh, and so reading, 
books that help you put language to it matters. Yeah. I'd also say you need to be persuaded biblically because I think I, I, well, I have seen and read Christians who I'm not sure how persuaded they are. I know how they persuaded they are about other theological issues, but this one they will not give the theological rigor that it demands and capture the heart of God concerning this. And you only know the heart is there when you are as angry against it as God is angry against it. Mm-hmm. And if we're not there yet, then we have a lot of work to do. Uh, we mustn't have, I'll put it this way, what we need is courageous Christianity, <laughs> you know, not complicit Christianity. And then I'll say this, engage, engage uh, friends, make friends, engage relationally, you know, because the average black person won't tell you their story just like that. Especially the best ones, they won't tell you. I don't. Because, first of all, there are points of pain. Okay, and secondly, you know, it's, uh, uh, I'm not one, the person who is next to me is not, he, the white guy with me, is not a racist or the racist. But for the most part, he doesn't even know what to do with it. Yeah. He doesn't even know how to empathize. He doesn't know. So he's going to end up just hoping, which unfortunately I see too often, especially with pastors, hoping the moment passes and we can just move on again. Well, when you bring a pain to someone and it's dealt that way, you just don't open it up anymore. Mm. And so how do you get them to open up? You journey with them a long way. And when they trust you, they'll share. And in that moment, connections happen. Forgiveness happens. And for the person who said, it wasn't me, I wasn't racist, he needs to meet Nehemiah, who did not commit the sin, but said, we have sinned. I do have a part to play in building the wall. That's very powerful. And Toppy, would would you have one or two books that you would say this is a good place to start? Yeah, I think um, as 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 hard as the title may sound, um, I can't remember her name now, but the book "Why I No Longer Talk to White People About Race." And the, uh, I'm glad that she's framed that title like that. It's not a Christian. It's not. She's not a Christian writer. But if you just want the, the history, at least from a British perspective, so it's not just an American from a British perspective. I think it just helps. And and so and I, and I think it's well written. So I, I would do that. I think uh, uh, Ben Lindsay has a book uh, along the same lines. Um, uh, and, so, and so there are there are, there are a number of other books. I, I wouldn't necessarily sign up to everything in every book. Yeah. But I need to read as many of these books as I can and then filter them through gospel lenses. That's that's been really helpful and thank you for being honest with us because it's quite a painful subject and I don't want to stay there too long. I'd like to if I can move just to talk about leadership. Um, you are obviously one of, in terms of New Frontiers, one of our most known leaders. Uh, you've spoken on uh, some big platforms over the years, including, I think, John Piper's. And uh, you have had the privilege, I think, of getting quite close to other people that we would, uh, us mere mortals would look on and say, oh, he's a famous person and, and, and you've managed to have met them or time with them. Now, very sadly, for a, for every time this happens for all of us, we 
it breaks our heart when we hear of a Mark Driscoll or Ravi Zacharias or whoever it might be who has fallen either through sexual sin or through the abuse of power. I just wonder how um, in your journey, the things you have seen that have, uh, have been tr triggers in your mind to think actually in developing the leaders and you're a great developer of leaders, what are things that we should be looking for? Because we don't want to have leaders that are just yes men and, and just ad adapted to the culture. We want to have men and women who are really sought and light, very, very different. At the same time, we do not want to have people that so abuse that power that they control, they manipulate, they 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 damage people's lives. So can you just talk to us about your leadership culture in Jubilee and what you look for and what you are challenging in, in your younger leaders? Well, uh, yeah, um, big, big issue again, you know, because um, it is very sad. Uh, not so long ago, I was speaking to our senior leadership team about some of these issues. And I just, off the top of my head, just named people that had fallen that I that I know and that they would know. And uh, some of them, they would not even, they did not even know. And, um, and of course, most people know people who have fallen in their own tribe or their own uh, Christian um, uh, tribe, as it were. But it's, in, it's happening all over. And every time it happens, it is horribly sad there is collateral damage that happens massively, and it's a warning to to others. But it sadly keeps happening. So when I'm raising word, raising leaders, or thinking about my own life, I, I I guess when you mention some of the people I've been able to meet, not a whole lot of people, but some. Um, there's or you look at those who have fallen. There's just some traits you see that you can't get away from such as the lack of accountability, the lack of accountability, where they may be able to talk <clears throat> like they have accountability. They can come off and seem to have a persona that makes you feel they could share in sermons. None of that means that people are accountable. People are accountable when they are truly accountable. They can point to the person to whom they are accountable or the people to whom they are accountable and the structure around them is calibrated in a way that they have to be accountable. And so it becomes very much the choice, a bit like me, a bit like you, there's a way we can carry ourselves. It's just the culture of the house. Is the culture of the house such that someone can come up to you and say, sorry, can you just, did I? And they can ask a straight question. Or is it culture such that you daren't ask that? you'd be seen as divisive and so on. So I think a lack of accountability, spiritually, uh, emotionally, people getting burnt out. You know, the preacher who is doing it week in, week out, going for it and it's all good, but nobody is saying, how are you doing? Where are you getting all this stuff from? Are, are you living it? I, your last connection with Christ, when was that? Because people can preach sermons without reference without moments with him, you know, and then digitally, you know, your texting and your, you know, all of these kinds of things. So I'm checking the key people growing up that they understand that accountability is your friend. It's a good thing for you. Yes. And I try to let them understand 
so many have fallen, then, but more will fall. You just don't have to be one of them. And the way is accountability. Another thing is transparency, where hidden things that get harder to show because they've been kept even longer. And, and, and again, no one can ask. And I guess, I, I think there's something, Guy, over time, particularly when people are seen as successful, which we have to redefine, for goodness sake, what that means. That when they're seen as successful, over time, people feel you can't, you can't just, they're fine. And a sense of entitlement begins to creep in. Where over, and then there's a kind of blindness that comes and a misguided notion that certain rules no longer apply to them. Mm. And it's ever so slow and insidious, but the cra- when the crash comes, people are stunned because we just didn't see that coming. Ultimately, I guess, when people have fallen, there are things, unresolved issues inside yeah. that they never discussed brought out or they were blind to and they began to medicate you know it's it we're talking about the embrace we're talking about the hug of somebody that you know when you left that it it seemed to be more to you than the ordinary hugging of everybody else it was different when it's that person mm. and so when how- that point you should you should flag that up that's a red flag so, so can we? I just apply that to you because I would say I look up to you. Uh, you, you're one of those leaders that has proven faithful, built from smallness, seen God's grace, salvations, people saved, uh, a ministry which uh, has touched large parts of the world, India and Africa, or America, as well as Europe. How do you keep your, I mean, just between us, because others will listen in, how do, how do you keep your feet on the ground? How does Kemi help you keep her, your feet on the ground? What are the, what are the sort of disciplines around you in terms of having people speak into your life? Well, it's a good question. I have, there are a couple of people that I can tell everything. Not just that. They will ask me anything. And I'm hoping they will. And they do. And um, I tell them, you are my pastor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, please don't be a failed pastor to me. Very by not asking me what you need to know. Yeah. From sexually, from what you watch, or from... We, we need to go all the way there. Um, I have somebody right here. The, the pastors are, they know they can ask me any question, but there's one of them that I go to voluntarily every so often submit my, I'll, I'll, I'll go there and tell him things. When I say tell him, so that he can ask other questions. You have to you have to open up in a way that encourages the question. And then and so on. My assistant, uh, uh, when I was taking my assistant on, I, I was I took her and her husband. I sat them down, I had a chat with them. And I let them know what some of these things look like. So what does their marriage look like? 
is it good so that she doesn't need me as a pastor in that sense and then and then things get out of hand so so it's both of them and uh, uh into it and then uh when she was being taken on she was told if ever you see something that is just a little off you're not sure you're not sure we don't need a hundred percent you're just a little off and it's just been on your mind this is who you get to go and talk to before you talk to Toby about it this is who you go and talk to that's really helpful and thank I mean it's really good to hear you being so open and honest and I find it really helpful for myself listening to you in this in this interview um I guess I guess my sort of final question would this afternoon would be so Toppy, can you tell me how you and Kemi uh, refresh yourself in God? Because I can't imagine how you handle all the various meetings, uh, people, uh, pressures, pastoral care. I know you've got a big team that serve you and that's wonderful. But how do you find those moments of abiding in Christ? What is the disciplines, the readings or the, or the things you do that others can listen today and go, Oh, that's a really helpful thing. Well, you know, I, I don't know that I have anything original or different, really, but but I know that we pray together every day. Uh, it doesn't have to be long, long prayers. We have moments when we do those, where we would, uh, so our prayers will either be very short one where we will hold hands and pray every day. The point of that is, should there be difficulty, frosty moments, or anything like that, you know that you're going to rendezvous all the way around to here, hold hands. So now you've got to put it right. So we do that every day. Uh, we have moments of praying together about issues that, and so on. So that's one side of it. Kemi uh, is my best friend. Kemi is my yeah. friend, you know, and. Uh, uh, we met each other all the way back there. She knows me more than all these other people all over the place. <laughs> she knows me more than all of them. You know, she's not uh, she's not impressed or depressed by me. She just knows me, <laughs> so it's all good. And for that, I'm grateful. Uh, we make sure that we have times of just fun together. I know what helps fill Kemi up, and she knows. How much I like sex, so so she knows. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, so I said that on purpose. Yeah, amen. To it's help wonderful male pastor who should feel whatever it is for you, that that it is so clear your wife knows, not just tolerates it, knows, and you're asking each other all the time, how can I make your life a little bit better? I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, I would say the last two questions, you've raised this issue again and again. And I think it is one of the core questions I ask anybody coming into leadership in terms of if they're married, how is your relationship with your wife? And when we're interviewing elders now, we would interview uh, on one of the occasions, we'd interview the wife as well, because it's not that they've got to be 
ministry or have a title, but if they're not at one, if they're not happy, if they're not flourishing under their under their husband's leadership, I'm always very, very worried and concerned that we get that right. And uh, it's lovely to hear you talk in the way about Kemi. Heather's my best friend. Uh, we pray actually uh, every morning. Uh, we have a we have a list of people we pray for. We pray for you and Kemi uh, yeah. every every month. Uh, we do intercede for you, <laughs> <laughs> and we really thank God for you. And it's a lovely. It's such a privilege to get just an hour with you to talk about this. And we love you, Toppy and Kemi and Commission are very grateful. I'm sure we'll have much more relationship in the future because I think God's taking us on that same journey. We're part of the same family, but we just want to say we really appreciate you, Toppy, and thank you for being so honest with us this afternoon. It's been great being here. You're a good and dear friend, and uh, I'm grateful to God that I have you in the circle of my life. Blessings. Blessings. Thank you for listening to the Adventure Together podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe. To find out more about Commission, visit www.commission.global.